church, will you join me as we pray to our God? Almighty God, we come to you now, and we bring our requests together to you, for it honors you to depend upon you. Father, we pray this morning for Noah Cortada, who has been born to Liliani and Ricardo. Father, we thank you for the gift of this child. And together we pray on Noah's behalf that he would one day come to faith in Jesus Christ. We pray also for Ricardo and Liliani, that they would raise up Noah according to your word, that you would be faithful to teach, that they would be faithful to teach him your word and instill in him a heart and love for your church. Father, we, we pray for our church today, that you would grow in us godliness in this coming year. Father, your word instructs us to make disciples. We pray that we as members would rightly feel the weight of this command and that we would intentionally invest ourselves in others this year. Father, we pray for those of us who lack courage. We pray for courage. For those who don't see this as their job, we pray for conviction for all of us. Father, we pray that we would grow, that we'd invest well in one another, Lord, even that we might build up among us a culture of discipling across our church. Father, we do pray for the couple's breakfast this Saturday, and we pray that it would be a helpful time of growing and thinking about marriage in our church. We pray that the marriages in our church would be strong and would reflect Christ and his love for his bride, the church. Father, we pray today for Lauren Timbechian and Maria Luz as they were married yesterday. Father, we pray that you would bless their marriage, that you would sustain them in Christ. Lord, we pray that you would help Lauren to lead his home well and in humility and sacrifice. We pray that you would help Maria Luz to be a kind and ready helpmate to her husband. May their union honor you. Father, we pray for marriages in this room that are hurting. Think of marriages where conflict and anger is bringing disunity, even when hidden. Father, we pray for your help. Help all of us husbands in this room to love sacrificially. And help our wives to be helpers in their homes. Guide our homes, we pray. Lord, we pray not just for our church, but we think beyond us, and we are reminded that you have a love for the nations, O oh God. We pray on behalf today of those in Ukraine. Father, as war and upheaval continues to wreak havoc on that land, we pray, O oh God, for peace. We especially pray for the churches that are present in Ukraine, that you would give them strength and faith in the midst of these trying days. Father, we pray for pastors serving in Ukraine to be faithful and to know how to lead their people in the midst of trial. Preserve our brothers and sisters there, men and women that we haven't even met, oh God. Father, we pray for your help now. As we open your word, we recognize that we, your people, need to hear from you. And we thank you that you have spoken that you have not left us without revelation. You have given us your word. Father, we pray that this morning 
you would give us insight into your word. We pray that you would shape us as a church, that this year we would be profoundly shaped by the word of God. We pray that you do that even in this next hour. And we pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Well, it is a new year. And as I was reflecting on this this week, I was reminded of the optimism that I offered you all three weeks ago in my Christmas Eve service. If you'll remember, I believe I stood at this pulpit and basically told you that Christmas was already over. And I think I even referenced needles falling off of Christmas trees and presents being broken. And you were thankful for the realist that your pastor is. Well, uh, by the way, for the record, I was right. Uh, I'd just like to continue this morning on the same trajectory. Uh, today is January 14th, which means for most of us, we've already fallen two weeks behind on our New Year's resolutions. Uh, research shows that 23% of us quit our New Year's resolutions by the end of the first week. And 43% of us quit by the end of January. Only 9% of us, or of you, uh, will actually keep any resolution that we set this year. And we have honestly all experienced this, haven't we? We uh, might be forgiven for holding a bit of cynicism as we look forward and consider setting goals as we head into a new year. Well, this morning, if I may, I don't intend to offer resolutions or goals to you, but I do intend to offer a vision for what it could look like for God to work in a church like ours in 2024. As a church, I want us to look together forward into the coming year and ask, what would it look like for the kingdom of God to grow up in our midst? Providentially, we come to this passage in the book of Luke. As we've been studying through the book, uh, we get to this place where, where Jesus pauses and he, he looks forward with his disciples. He, he gives us two back-to-back -back parables which illustrate the nature of the kingdom which he himself is in the midst of ushering in. He lifts the disciples' eyes to what's coming and he teaches them and us about the reality of the kingdom that he is bringing. So if you haven't already, open your Bibles this morning to Luke chapter 13. So our passage is short, but we'll be studying what Kurt just read for us, verses 18 through 21. If you have your Bibles open, it'll be easier to see that just the, the simple points that I'm just going to be making from this passage, that they're there in the text, that this is the point of what Scripture is saying is my point as well. If you're new to church, uh, and just perhaps coming in this year, uh, we've been studying through the life and account of Jesus Christ as recorded for us in the Gospel of Luke. Uh, we started this study a little over a year ago, and we hope to finish uh, this study sometime. Uh, Luke tells us this is an orderly account that is intended to give us confidence of what happened in the life of Jesus Christ. That's the whole point of the book giving confidence to Theophilus in what he's seen and heard regarding the person of Jesus. 
So in this section that we return to, Jesus has been teaching his disciples across the, the several chapters before this and the, ch the chapters that we'll head into after this. It's a large teaching section by Jesus directed primarily to his disciples, understanding, helping them understand how Jesus will work in the world. You'll notice here at the beginning of verse 18, the parable is introduced by Luke saying, he said, therefore. Now, that therefore is actually referring back to the previous story that we saw together on December 17th of how Jesus healed a woman with a disability and he was rejected by the religious leader in the synagogue. Now, if you were one who was hearing about Jesus for the first time, like Theophilus, who this book was being written to, or maybe you were one of Jesus' disciples that was there that day, imagine what you might feel after watching that rejection. Imagine you watched that, that nobody, that, that marginalized woman being healed and, and lifted up, and meanwhile, the religious expert, the leader of the synagogue, is basically not trustworthy. He's being critiqued. He's being sidelined by the, the, the rabbi, rather, that you're following. I would suspect that might not give confidence. Well, Jesus addresses this strange turn of events, and he looks at the future with this pair of parables, and he begins them by asking a question, getting our minds thinking. Notice there in verse 16, he asks, sorry, 18, he asks, what is the kingdom of God like? I wonder, how would you answer that question? If you had to explain or illustrate how it is that, that God Almighty will rule over his people, or you had to explain how the reign of Jesus Christ would take shape among his people, what type of explanation would you offer? What type of illustration would you give? I'd, I'd venture to say that many of us might answer that it looks maybe necessarily large and, and significant, that that's how this begins. I mean, if Jesus Christ was truly the Son of God, then his ministry must begin with entire nations coming and just bowing down before him. Or maybe, maybe it should be something that's large and unignorable, something that has an immediately compelling witness that people would just have to agree with, right? Jesus could have picked any number of illustrations to help us think in that direction. Uh, the kingdom of God is like a hurricane. It has force and power, and there's just no avoiding its coming. Or he could have said that the kingdom of God is like a, a, a volcano, it's large, and it's immediately visible to anyone anywhere nearby. But no, these aren't the illustrations that our Savior chose. Listen again to verse 18. He said, therefore, what is the kingdom of God like? And to what shall I compare it? It is like a grain of mustard seed that a man took and sowed in his garden. And it grew and became a tree, and the birds of the air made nests in its branches. And again he said, to what shall I compare the kingdom of God? It is like leaven that a woman took and hid in three measures of flour until it was all leavened. Friends, as I think forward about our church 
in the year 2024 ahead of us and the kingdom of God working in our midst, I think this passage is incredibly helpful for us. Make no apologies for returning to themes that you might have heard out of my mouth before. I think we need to hear this again. I'm going to just offer four brief and very simple observations of what Jesus is getting to with this parable, and then apply each of them to his context and then to ours. So let me offer the first. Number one, perhaps the most surprising aspect of these parables, that the kingdom begins surprisingly small. Jesus compares the beginning of his rule and reign to, get this, a single grain of a mustard seed. A, a single grain of a mustard seed. A, a mustard seed would have been the smallest seed commonly known in Jesus' day. And this is what Daryl Bach, a scholar on Luke, calls the, the surprise, the, the, the twist of the story. You see, the Jews were awaiting shelter and, and, and deliverance from the Romans. And this is not the image that they would have wanted to hear about a coming Messiah, a, a deliverer for their nation. The, the, the smallness of this, of this mustard seed, well, it's, it's emphasized again so that we're sure not to miss it. Jesus compares it, the kingdom, to leaven or yeast in bread, something that's just barely identifiable. When you think about it, you take, take a pinch of yeast, you put it into the, your dough as you're, you're making your bread, and, and you're not going to see the yeast. It, it disappears into the, the midst of the dough itself. Jesus' first point here is that the beginning of the kingdom in the eyes of many, is barely noticeable. And friends, this is precisely what happened historically with Jesus Christ. Uh, listen to how one pastor, Pastor J.C. Ryle, explains this. He writes compellingly, the, the beginnings of the gospel were exceedingly small. It was a religion which seemed at first so feeble, so helpless, so powerless that it could not live. Its first founder was one who was poor in this world and ended his life by dying the death of a criminal on the cross. Its first adherents were a, a little company whose number probably did not exceed a thousand when the Lord Jesus left the world. Its first preachers were a few fishermen and publicans who were, most of them, unlearned and ignorant men. Its first starting point was a despised corner of the earth called Judea, a petty tributary province of the vast empire of Rome. Its first doctrine was eminently calculated to call forth the enmity of the natural heart. Christ crucified to the Jews who were looking for miracles, a stumbling block, and to the Greeks, foolishness. Raoul concludes, these are no empty assertions. They are simple historical facts, which no one can deny. If there was ever a religion which was a little grain of seed at its beginning, that religion was the Christian gospel. Friends, the kingdom of God begins surprisingly small, like a tiny mustard seed. So how do we apply this? How does this land and affect our church here today? Uh, well, first, you need to be careful 
Because this is not saying that everything small is powerful. I mean, some things are just small. But this is saying that in God's kingdom, the means that God promises to work through, his normal means of grace, his normal means of growth in the Christian life or in the church, even when they appear small, they have great latent power. Like a tiny seed that's, that's ready to burst into new life. If God's kingdom begins small, let me offer this application for us. Oh, friends, oh, First Baptist, do not grow tired when faithful obedience seems small. Let me just say that again. If you're taking notes, jot this down. Do not grow tired when faithful obedience seems small. Do not grow tired when it feels like a small thing to obey what our Lord has told us to obey. Do not feel tired when it, do not grow tired when it feels like a small thing to wake up every Sunday morning and come on time to church and sit ready to learn and eager to grow. I promise you, 10, 15, 20, 25 years of doing that, you'll be a different person. Do not grow tired when it feels like a small thing to give part of your day to prayer each day. What a seemingly small thing for a church to do. Just, just give part of your day to praying for one another. We have a, a church directory. If you're a member, you should have received this. We've just handily added the, the date to the bottom of each page of our directory so that you could just easily open this up each day of the month and pray through several names. So this morning is the, uh, it's the 14th, the 18th page. I pay, prayed for the Myatts, Billy Myrtle, Carl, Angela, and Caleb Nelson, Janet Nielsen, Junior and Dorothy, Adil, Andrew, and Amanda. It took me two minutes. Just take a minute and just pray for these fellow saints. D do this over the course of a month. You've prayed for more than the, the church more than once. What if, what if an entire church did this? Can you imagine what it would be like if we had a church that actually was not growing tired of doing a small thing, like praying for one another? Do not grow tired when it, when it feels like a small thing to invest in others, perhaps to, to read the Bible with another member of this church. Again, let me pull out from my Bible here. You should have received this on the way in. A sermon card. So we are at the beginning of the new year. We have the next five months of sermons planned out. You could just oh so easily take this card, find another member of the church, and uh, read with them the upcoming sermon for the coming week. And you would be edified, I'm sure, in your relationship and prepared for Sunday at the same time. Do not grow tired. What a small thing. What a small thing. Do not grow tired when faithful obedience feels small. Do not grow tired when pursuing a neighbor or a coworker with the gospel. Wanting to be the type of of witness to those around you that would reflect Christ well. Oh, friends, the kingdom of God begins surprisingly small. The second aspect of the kingdom that we learn about from this parable, number two, the kingdom grows gradually but 
powerfully. The, the image that our Lord Jesus Christ chose to give us was one of powerful yet incremental growth. Uh, notice just there in the text, the, the grain of mustard seed must first be sown in the ground, then it must grow, then it must become a tree, then it must become strong enough for birds to rest in its branches. Or in the second parable as well, the leaven must be taken by the woman, then it must be hidden in the flower, then she must wait, the word of God says, until it was all leavened. The, the, the point is incremental growth. Both of these illustrations center on a small thing growing over time. Both of them point out that, that the gradual growth that these things bring is often unseen. I mean, the, le the leaven there in the text it literally says it's, it's hidden. It's like tucked away, out of sight, in the dough. Or the seed, too, it's also hiding. It's, it's planted down in the garden. It's underneath the soil. What a foolish thing it would be. What a horrible farmer it would be to go out and, and plant seed and get it all covered up and go to bed, wake up the next morning, and say, I, I don't see anything yet. So let me go out and dig up that seed and, and look at it again. Make sure it's still, okay, it's still there. Let me try to put it down again, Right? That, that's not how seed works. That's not it. it there's, there's a gradual growth that's happening over time, and for a while, you see none of it. Elsewhere in Scripture, uh, we see that our church is uh, called the body. We have this image of us being like a body. I was reminded of this this week when I went to the, the YMCA and I exercised. Uh, the, the Y has large mirrors to constantly remind me of how impressive my body is. And you stand there exercising, and then you try to do one set of chin-ups, and you immediately are reminded just how pitiful you are. And you're immediately reminded of how gradually and how slowly it takes time to, to build that body. How a long-term work in the same direction is what's needed for the body to grow up together. Oh, friends, growth is an incremental process. It's a progressive process. It's an often unspectacular process. It's often hi hidden, and this is the picture that we see in Scripture. I mean, we see this constantly. Let me just give you another place. Turn over with me to Mark chapter 4. If you have your Bibles, just turn back to the book of Mark. Mark is also recording a whole set of parables similar to this where Jesus is teaching on the nature of the kingdom and we, we get to Mark 4 and we find a parable that really just focuses on this part of the point. The point of gradual unaided growth. Listen to what Jesus says at Mark 4, 26 and following. He said that the kingdom of God it's as if a man should scatter seed on the ground. Okay, verse 27. He sleeps and rises night and day. And the seed sprouts and grows, and he knows not how. The, the earth produces by itself first the blade, 
then the ear, then the full grain in the ear. When the grain is ripe, at once he puts in the sickle because the harvest has come. The farmer's work seems to be centered on his sleeping as God is bringing the growth. The kingdom of God grows gradually. I believe in these passages, this and in Luke, Jesus is most directly speaking about his own ministry, first and foremost. The, the 12 disciples he was leading, well, you know that they were a work in progress for some time, were they not? The church he was building, oh my goodness, it would have fits and starts. It would have moments of glory and moments of setback. In fact, if you think about it, the eternal church that Jesus was building in heaven would not be assembled when he left. It would not be assembled in its completion in the first century or the second century or the third century or the fourth century. I could keep going. It's a good thing for us because we're here in the 21st century and Christ is still building his church. His patience and his gradual work of adding and growing to his church, well, it means that you can come to it. It means that you and I, born here in 20, or living here in 2024, can be part of that church. Oh, friends, Jesus Christ is growing his kingdom gradually, and yet, powerfully, powerfully, the picture is that that seed has latent power. It's just waiting to, to explode in the ground and, and, and to grow up. Its, it's potential is, is hidden, but real. It's a real potential. I remember uh, years ago hearing a preacher preach on this text, and his illustration stuck with me. He compared uh, this process to Thomas Edison uh, bringing the phonograph, his invention, uh, to the queen. And the queen, upon seeing this in invention, was dismissive. It said that Thomas Edison responded, uh, Your Majesty, of what use is an infant? Oh, well, he was completely right. You look at this phonograph and see, oh, carry this out for years upon years. Look where this will take us. Friends, the kingdom of God begins surprisingly small, and yet its growth being, though being gradual, is powerful. And so, how do we apply this to us? How does this affect our church here, First Baptist, today? If God's kingdom grows gradually, let me just offer this encouragement to us. We must refuse the allure of practices which promote speed over faithfulness. Let me say that again. We must refuse the allure of practices which promote speed over faithfulness. Uh, we must uh, think about how we are to grow, and we must realize that quick growth is not our primary rubric. It's not our primary evaluation. Faithfulness is. Uh, elders in the room, you need to, to hear this and re remind yourself of this regularly. Or, or members, as you try to help this church grow. Or honestly, even if you don't join this church, as you look for another church and you go and visit other churches, you need to see this truth in Scripture, that to cultivate mature growth 
takes time. There is not a substitute. We do not begin by asking, how do we produce the quickest results in our church? We don't begin by asking what works most efficiently or being captivated by who grew the fastest. No, we ask what are the biblical methods that scripture teaches? See, scripture should cultivate in us faithful obedience and dependence on the word of God. This is true just in countless ways. Perhaps maybe over lunch you could just think with some friends how this could be true in your life. How, how would your life be affected if you had just patient, continual obedience, and you trust it in God's work to do the work of growing. Let me just offer you a couple. This should affect how we evangelize this year. Your goal as you go out this year to tell others about Jesus Christ is not just to get the people in the door of this room, as if that were enough. Your goal isn't just to get people to, to make a decision. Yeah, they, they say they believe, as if that could ever be enough. Oh, no, your goal is to share the full and complete gospel of Jesus Christ so that people can understand it. And if God would allow, he would open their eyes to it. Your goal is much more long-range goal. Or think about this when we go and serve in children's ministry in our church. Your goal with our children is not to get your children to say, yes, they'll become a Christian. Uh, just to have them make some decision to say they believe in Jesus. So if you, anyone here who's working with uh, Awana on Wednesday nights or Sunday morning, Sunday school, or right now during the service, or, or even parents in this room, that, that's not your goal. Pressuring a child uh, to, to make some decision, well, that's actually unhealthy. That, that, that's honestly why perhaps so many children grow up in American churches and then leave the church when all they made was some quick decision that was pushed on them. You know, the biblical picture that we're seeing here is of a long-term view of maturing disciples. So we want to teach our children to have an understanding of what Scripture says so that God might open their eyes to the gospel. We must refuse the allure of practices which promote speed over faithfulness. Hide the leaven in the dough. Put the seed in the ground and wait for God to work. We want to plant a forest of oak trees, not a field of saplings. A, a third truth we learn about the nature of the kingdom here. Number three, the kingdom's growth is inevitable. I wonder if you saw that in the parable. Uh, did you notice the seed when planted in the garden, will grow. The leaven, the yeast, when hidden in the dough, it will leaven the whole lump of bread. Verse 21, the woman took and hid the yeast in three measures of flour until it was all leavened. Jesus' point is that it will spread. The yeast will do its work. You can't hide the yeast in the bread and then she said, hey, pause, and just wait. Don't do anything. You can't hide the yeast in the bread and, and hope the bread doesn't all get leavened. It doesn't work that way. No, it will grow. It's, it's inevitable. Can you just think of what confidence this must have given to Theophilus as he's, as he's reading this? Or, or to the disciples as they're sitting there having this religious leader rejected. And they're wondering, who is this rabbi? 
they realize, no, Jesus is saying, just wait. It will grow. The kingdom will take shape. Jesus is saying, I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not stand against it. Now, this is not a promise that all of us will inevitably make it to the finish line just because we say we believe in Christ. It's not a promise that everyone that you share the gospel with will inevitably believe. Honestly, this is not even a promise that this local church will stay faithful until the coming, the return of Jesus Christ. Many churches don't. Oh no, this is a, a promise that's far deeper. This is a promise that Christ's kingdom will inevitably succeed. And oh, how precious that is. Oh, how his kingdom will grow, brothers and sisters. Friends, if we know this to be true, then who among us would not want to join ourselves to his kingdom? What other project in history has a 100% guarantee of success other than the kingdom of Jesus Christ? This leads, by the way, to my, my fourth observation. Number four, that the kingdom provides a secure dwelling. Look again at verse 19. It's like a grain of mustard seed that a man took and sowed in his garden, and it grew and became a tree, and the birds of the air made nests in its branches. The picture here is that the kingdom begins small, it grows incrementally, but it does ultimately become a fully grown tree, a place of secure dwelling. Birds can make their nests in these branches because this tree will sustain them. They can, they can find a home there. They can be secure there in this kingdom. Oh, church, don't you just want to be like a bird resting in the nest of the kingdom of our God? Don't you want to find that place where you can, you can just settle in and, and dwell secure? Friends, this kingdom that God is building, it is trustworthy. If you want to see this, if this is true, if you just want to test this out a little bit, let me encourage you, just a practical application. Find an older brother or sister in Jesus Christ and, and ask them, when is one time in your life that God has been your security in the midst of a trial. Just find an older member, perhaps a, a widow or widower in our church, or maybe one of the pastors, just walk, someone who's walked through a journey. So when is the time that God has been your secure dwelling place? Well, I, I'm sure that brother or sister could easily say, list off several times. You know, I've been speaking this morning primarily to our church members as I'm thinking about applying this text to this church here. Uh, but I do want to acknowledge perhaps there's some in this room who are still learning about Jesus Christ. Maybe you're, you're visiting among us today. Uh, perhaps you're still considering placing the faith in Christ. Let, let me just ask you today, where do you place your sense of security? Uh, you know, the need for security, uh, uh, security to live in, is such a powerful impulse. As, as human beings, we, we crave this. 
who who crave a a safe dwelling place. And we often placate this need with trying to fill it up with with money or homes or jobs or social status or, or power or family, many of which can be good things. We desire security. But the news of the kingdom of God True security, true, a, a, a truly secure dwelling place comes not by our own making. There is a place of security that extends far beyond anything you could build in this life. I mean, you could labor all you want to in this world, and your security will only go as deep as you are. And you are finite. This is one reason why the, the message of the gospel, the Christian gospel, is so galvanizing. Because Christians believe that there is a security that is offered to us freely, without cost, that is outside of ourselves. Christians believe that that we have been created to know God and to love him, but we haven't done that. We've turned against God in sin. And yet God in his kindness, he has sent his son, Jesus Christ, who came and lived a perfect life, and he died on the cross. Scripture tells us, in our place, he took the payment, the the punishment that our sin deserves. He, He bore God's wrath, his anger against our sin. And then, dying, he rose from the grave three days later, showing that he was more powerful than death itself. And he did this to offer to us, to any of us who would come to him by faith, security in him. A a secure dwelling place. A place where we are not resting in our own feeble power, our own finite resources, which are much shorter than we realize. But we are resting in the finished work of Jesus Christ on the cross. Let me just encourage you, if this is a new message for you today, I encourage you to talk to someone today before leaving about how you can place your faith in Christ. Well, if you're a believer today, let me just briefly apply this last point before moving on. I think that one of the most direct applications of this truth, of this secure dwelling place, uh, is to, to realize that we, brothers and sisters, were designed to make a home like a bird makes a nest in a tree in the kingdom of God. And the, the place where God's kingdom, his invisible kingdom, becomes visible in this world, on this earth, is in local churches. So biblically, you can't talk about being in the kingdom of God without being joined to a local church. Whether it's this church here or another gospel-preaching church somewhere else, you need to find a place to unite yourself to others in a local assembly. And and notice here how this appeal in Scripture is to find a secure dwelling place, and it's not even a command. I mean, I think I could make that argument to you. I think I could say Scripture commands you to be part of a local church. But here, it's an appeal. I mean, what, what bird doesn't want to find a nest to rest in? What what bird doesn't want to find a safe dwelling place to make their lives? What Christian wouldn't want to find just a healthy church 
to, to, to find their home in. You need this for your good to join yourself to a local body. If you're already in this body, you need to dig in deeper. Could you do that this year? Uh, this is the vision of the kingdom that Jesus Christ sets out for us. What a glorious way to start our year this year. Uh, oh, that we would actually believe that, that the kingdom of God begins small. We'd be ready to acknowledge that and yet believe that it grows as promised gradually and powerfully. That its growth is inevitable and that it does truly offer to us this safe and secure dwelling place. What if this dwelling place typified your year in 2024? I venture to say that if it did, if you found your home there in his kingdom, well, a hundred years from now, you'd be a happier person. A thousand years from now, 10,000 years from now. Find your dwelling place there. We'll sing about that in just a few minutes. We'll sing on that day. We'll look forward to the ultimate return of Jesus Christ. The time when this kingdom, which was introduced here in Christ's life, inaugurated through this ministry, we'll sing about the time when it is consummated in his return, where he comes back to take us to be with him for eternity. And so we should conclude. Let me leave you with just one final reflection. You see, there is here a connection in this parable to the Old Testament. In this language of, of birds making nests in branches. The, the language here which Jesus uses is nearly a direct quote from a prophecy in Ezekiel. There, back in Ezekiel, the, the prophet, he's looking forward with messianic hope to a coming Davidic king. And this coming king, Ezekiel says, get what he says. He says, the coming Messiah will be like a tree planted by God himself. Yahweh says there in Ezekiel, that under this tree will dwell every kind of bird, and in the shade of its branches, birds of every sort will come and rest. Do you get what's happening here? Here in this parable, Jesus is connecting himself to that messianic promise. He's saying that the, the, the kingdom of God brings a, a safe dwelling place in the person of the Messiah that has been prophesied about for centuries. Friends, that person is Jesus Christ. By connecting this parable back to Ezekiel's promise, Jesus is telling us we don't just get a new kingdom. We get a new king. We don't just get a new eternal place. We get a person in the person of Jesus Christ. Oh, friends, that secure dwelling place is found in Christ. It's him that we see. It's him that will one day return. It's him that we glory in, that we rest in. Oh, beloved, what shall we compare the kingdom of God to? Ultimately, it's the fullness of the knowledge of the person of Jesus Christ. And so we wait patiently, faithfully, 
happily, obediently, looking to that kingdom and to that coming king. Let's pray together. Almighty God, we thank you for being so clear to tell us how you will work your will in this world. Father, we long to be faithfully, obediently working in your kingdom and for your kingdom. We pray for our church this year. We pray that we would not grow tired when the work before us seems small in the eyes of the world. Father, we pray that we would be faithful to pray for one another, to invest in one another, to read the Bible with one another. Father, we pray that we'd be faithful to tell of this message to others so that others can come into this kingdom. Father, we pray that we would find our secure dwelling place in Christ. Let that be true of us this year. We pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen.